Welcome to DevSecOps and this is episode 16 and the topic for today is do you need stage or are you brave and test in production? Hello guys, how are you? Good and you? I'm fine. Andre, you're doing well? I am. Yeah. The and what weather is getting cold? It's like it feels like that the autumn starts in Sweden. Come on, man. Yeah, you've been in Sweden for some weeks and you say it's cold. It's still like 16 degrees out then and sun. Yeah, I take that any day, man. That's good weather for me. <laughs> yeah, after the first like I last year, last week. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was really good last week. Yeah. It was 10 degrees during the night. That's like cold. Cold. Coldish. Not warm. You should uh, stick around. It gets uh, better. <laughs> did that before yeah. i know how it's gonna be it's gonna be dark <laughs> wet and cold this is a stockholm baby yeah so what have you been uh, working on for uh, the last weeks julian you want to go first because i think you have some cool things yes i started working on uh, in a machine learning team taking care of the infrastructure and uh, GPUs and all those glorious hardware that uh, machine learning engineers use to make the model and test. It involves a lot of data, a lot of compute, a lot lot of storage. Um, Yeah, it's a different type of skill. It's really interesting. Uh, It's a different kind of uh, the typical... I would say industry where they more focus on security and um, more like shipping feature. It here is very much like a efficiency of the hardware and the optimizing. Uh, I, I actually don't need to learn a lot about machine learning so far, but yeah, let's see. It's, it's a very interesting and challenging opportunity. I, I will tell you more when I'm more way deep into the architecture. So you are ML ops, or you just ML, or <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, yeah, it sounds ML ops because there is. A, I think Kubernetes is a real uh, differentiator in that uh, space because you the hardware you pay for is uh, quite expensive, and so scaling up and down becomes like a. A routine you you have to do it otherwise your your costs are going to explode and the the configuration of that is uh, gets more interesting because for instance uh, you have diff- two i would say there is many type of machine learning but uh, one of you can think of is the typical uh, machine learning where you get some data you train a model and you deploy the model into a production uh, so you can call that model through an API and get some data. So think of it as, a, let's say you want to know the prediction of the house, uh, the, how, the pricing of the houses in certain area. That would typically, you, you send the location of the house and some details, and you get back a price range maybe. So that, that's a, one idea. The other thing is uh, you have reinforcement learning, meaning that, you don't really have data for that. What you do is you tell the computer, here is a function 
And I want you to try, given a certain parameter, to get to maximize that function as closely as possible. Let's say, for instance, in a, you have a video game and you want uh, uh, to climb a wall. And you don't want to, to program every little detail of how the player should climb that wall. So what you do, you throw machine learning algorithm, uh, reinforcement learning algorithm to it, and you will gradually figure out. But those things need to actually run for hours. And the funny thing is that the, the use case for that is actually not so uh, well planned in uh, Kubernetes, because in Kubernetes, you, you have the job. Uh, object, so meaning like you you can when the job is finished it will stop, but in this case it's never really finished unless you stop it manually, or you put a deadline like I want it to run for ten hours. Um, the the interesting part with that is that jobs in Kubernetes are don't play very well with sidecars, so if you have two containers in one job. Um, let's say one of them is just to ship the logs of the job somewhere. Once your your application finish or close, the sidecar is still running. So Kubernetes think that the job is still running, and you have to go through some bash magic and well, you have to brush up on your bash skill to to really make something. You have to write a file into a volume and all those things. And this is where you see the the how can I say, the, the use case of something like that. And there is a ticket open on, on uh, an issue open on GitHub about that since I think 2015 or something, because nobody can, the, nobody really agree on how to solve that problem. And yeah, you, do it, you do it wrong. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me, please, please tell me, because that was quite challenging. Look, you, what you could do is you could have a daemon set, right? You can have this container that ships logs as a daemon set that reads logs from the wire docker, blah, 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 blah. Because actually all logs are still there. So you can mm-hmm. take it from the disk and it could collect everything from all containers you run on a node and just ship it to Elasticsearch and then you sort it out there. You just need to make sure it's... Uh, Elastic search digestible, so it's in case, <laughs> you have the indexes and stuff. I mean, oh, it's just doing the same thing, but from a different angle, you know. That's a that's a really good point. I I think uh, it might be it's not, it's not like I don't have a problem with log. Like my problem is more with uh, Envoy and Istio that uh, include sidecar and some pods. Some jobs needs to talk to other other container. So there is, there is a more uh, complicated architecture behind, but yeah. uh, it's totally and, worth and, worth looking. And, Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. we are not we are not making this call a second consulting call. In- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, Julian, this is this is basic. I have uh, I have some uh, tools for you. I use a small um, container called Fluent Bit. Yes. That uh, reads the logs and then ship it to a uh, Fluent D. And the Fluent D then parses it and then ships it over to uh, Elastic. And if you want to be good here, you can also add some RabbitMQ, some Q in the middle. So you have some mm. uh, time to take down your Elasticsearch cluster without yeah. uh, everything going to shit. Yeah, wait, wait, oh. wait to make things easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, but I, again, I don't have a problem with logs. Like, uh, yeah. logs are not the issue. Um, it's really the... Um, because we know Kubernetes very well, but I have to talk to machine learning engineers that actually they don't really want to know Kubernetes that much. You understand? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they already have enough with cleaning the data and setting up the experiment and everything. That, uh, that that's asking a little bit too much. Uh, it's, at least for me, it seems unfair that they need to learn how to do kubectl. To, oh, so you, you know, people who don't know, who don't who do not want to know Kubernetes. I can understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why I'm, I'm planning on doing a demonstration about uh, Kubeflow, which is a machine learning platform on yeah, top of yeah. Kubernetes. It sounds really promising, the, the first um, iteration I had. Hmm. Um, and also, there is this, uh, I tried this tool called MicroQ8. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's a standalone Kubernetes cluster that you can install on your laptop. Hmm. Uh, and you, you have the same API as a Kubernetes cluster. It's uh, not it's, Minikube. There is Minikube. That's another one. Uh, MicroQ8 is comes print uh, well, I would say available on Ubuntu, hmm. and uh, you you have some basic functionality. And I, I like that uh, they say on the website like, oh, it's so easy to install. I install it, and then <laughs> I was fighting with the networking, and things didn't come up. And it it's a uh, yeah, it, it would have taken me less time to actually spin up a. Kubernetes cluster myself. Yeah. But anyway, that's not what we are uh, wow. talking about today. The subject of today was the to stage or not to stage a cluster. So the, the, the typical developer workflow was this, uh, at least you, you just first push your changes to a staging cluster and you test to see if your application works fine with the other application. And then once you confirm that everything works fine, you can deploy to production. Uh, I have some uh, idea or I would say opinion about the existence of such a cluster and the purpose for it, but I would like to hear first what what do you think about having a staging cluster? Do, is it worth it? Well, like environment, right? It's not necessarily a cluster. You might have no, of course. Yeah, a, a staging environment, that's true. It doesn't need to be a cluster. or Right. But, but are you saying staging? Are you saying it's the same as, as, as you, I have an int cluster? Yeah, I would say uh, having... Like, uh, I would say the, the, the thing you deploy to if you don't deploy to production, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have um, I have two clusters that I use. One is for call it int, and it's for for testing and deploying before. And then I uh, have a production where it's basically just uh, the production uh, runs the the runs in production. So I use I use two two environments. Well, I surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like the most of the places I've been interacting with, like either consulting or working, you usually have three environments. Yeah. You would have something like dev or in some places called test, 
or QA, um, where people could experiment. So like quite chaotic things might not work there. Then you have stage where like you pre-stage changes before they go to production so you can do a system test. And there are no not much moving parts. So you just move things there gradually out of dev. And uh, when the whatever testing you do in stage is done, it goes to production. So yeah. I people actually do like people I talk to do it in three stages. The first one, the dev. It might be a common environment of people want to save, but if there is a possibility to do it on a dev laptop, for instance, somehow set up it on a laptop, it could be on a laptop. And then you have on the stage. So I guess this is what uh, you guys mean. You have a possibility to have something similar to production environment on your laptop so people can develop locally and test locally. But it's not yeah. always possible, advisable, uh, have like Kubernetes cluster on your laptop, right? You can have like just a shared cluster with namespace, so like just everything in one namespace, whatever, for people to play around. This is a baseline where I'm coming from. So I see uh, three environments, actually. And for me, this question sounds like, should we skip stage environment, this one in the middle? So we have dev, and we go directly from dev to pro. This, This is how I hear this question. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I think I like going directly from dev into prod. Uh, I, uh, in in my experience, the the stage uh, was things that uh, needed to be tested by someone else. Could be like GUI things or uh, some external things, and uh, sometimes stage blocked us because there were things in stage that we're testing and then we had to do like emergency patching and then our developer comes back and say well if you deploy to production now all these things in stage will also go to production and they're not fully tested yet because we're waiting for client A to respond back Uh, and that got me thinking like what is stage if it's things that waiting to be tested, then I would say I won't merge it into master because it's not tested yet. And uh, if, if you take that approach and say, like, remove it, if, if, if you're waiting for things to be tested, don't merge it into master, and then you can get instead the master directly into production. So that depends on your branching model. So yeah. how you version the yeah. code, and on also if you do continuous deployment or continuous delivery. Yeah. So you need, the, you need, yeah, it depends also that you need to be you need to branch uh, the stuff, right? Everything you build, you, you branch it so you can test it, and you also need to be able to deploy branches to different environment because. Sometimes you buy you, you you code something and you want to test it from some external or some Gibby things, and then you need to uh, deploy that branch mm-hmm. so that other people can see it and test it. And then when it's done, you merge into master, and then it uh, kicks up. The... So you're basically replacing the staging with the environment that you build up for branches. Because that sounds the same to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, but I don't get uh, I don't get uh, the blocking then because master will always be what's in production. 
Mm. The problem I see before was that master was not maybe always what is production. Sometimes it was, but sometimes it was also what's in stage. Matthias, but you understand that when you're testing on the branch, it's mm. a false feeling of safety. Science, yeah, you test it on the branch, but you have no idea, you have no guarantee that it's going to behave the same way when you merge it to master. Because while you were on the branch, there might be new changes coming to master that you don't have on your branch. That's one thing. And another thing, still you're testing only the subset of changes. So you don't know how it's going to work out if you merge. So I would say your test only makes sense if your merge of the branch is a fast-forward merge, which means that your branch is actually sitting on top of the master or the main branch of people start to call it nowadays and uh, then you just move the main to your branch and uh, there is no actual merge happening just fast forwarding your branch forward to the changes you were testing yeah. so uh, when you do then the, the, the pull request back to master of course then you need to start the test to verify if you have a branch lying for years then I would guess you it's not going to work when you, when you merge it uh, yeah, there is a various uh, scenario in there, but um, I, I have seen like the, the existence of a staging cluster, or like a, let, let's call it a pre-prod cluster. Um, yeah. It's only to validate that the application behave in the same environment as production. Mm. Like you, you want to get, that's what the, they say usually that the the environment has to be the same. In my experience, it has never, ever been the case. And no. for, for some reason, and the, 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 the truth, the true test to know if it behaves is that you could actually redeploy all the application, the same version as production, and shift the traffic to that cluster and yeah. see if it works. It, it should work. Like otherwise, you have different different environment, and so yeah, the you test have that different you're doing, data in databases, right? So you have different data sets and stuff like that. So that will be different for sure. Yeah, and that's why it makes it a little bit, I would say, a waste of time and resource and energy to to have that if if that uh, condition is not met. Like if it's not yeah. the same environment as production, what are you testing? And Yo, usually, mm. all right. I'm not sold an idea that we need to throw away testing, uh, staging, but let's imagine I am. Mm-hmm. We, we leave my considerations for later. What should I be well, like? All right, so we don't do staging. How do we do? What do we do? So, yeah. as I said, I don't. I didn't say through staging. I say if you don't have a condition that it's the right. same environment, but that's not going to be the time. same, right? If it's a separate environment, it's not going to be the same because it's a separate environment. <laughs> that's the whole idea. Well, that's the point. And so what can you do for that? There is many, many possibilities depending on the type of application you have. Hmm. Um, but I would say that it depends on many, many things. It depends on the branching model. So on the way the process that developer use to um, push change to the system. It depends also on the number of the type of tests that are done uh, in the code. And it also depends on 
or I would say who gets to deploy. Hmm. Um, so you, you, there is many combination of uh, variable, but I would say that let's. I, I would go with um, one that actually uh, would potentially help, and it's it has a lot of hype. Uh, let's say, have you heard of the word GitOps? I'm sure you have. For for yeah. those of you who don't know, it's GitOps uh, is actually. I don't know if I can call it the branching model, but it actually it syncs in synchronize a branch to an environment. So when deploying, you don't actually deploy in the sense that uh, you uh, you click a button to push a, a container or or code somewhere. You merge a request a pull request to a branch in the code. And that the rest is automated, and whatever is in that branch is going to be automatically uh, deployed into a specific environment. So th- that's GitHub in a gist. Like you, you have a test environment, you have a prod environment, you have a staging, you have a QA, and so changes are usually referred with a, an identifier. Some, it could be a Jira ticket, it could be a GitHub issue, it could be anything. And so those changes uh, are able to be like passed along from branch to branch. And so each branch map clearly an environment. And it has to go both ways. So if something happened in the environment that is not in the code, it should get deleted or the, the code should be reapplied to the environment. So th- that's one way I saw. I, I saw many people having trouble with this because actually this Git, uh, well, most people use Git. Of course, you can use something else, but the branching model uh, of Git force you to play a lot with uh, the commits, uh, all those things, and passing commits along from branch to branch is actually, it's not difficult, but it's not something that everybody is uh, comfortable to do. So that's one way. What do you think about that? Mm. I don't have strong opinion, really. I mean, we spoke about GitOps, episode number two of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems to be where the things are coming. And again, it depends on, um, on the implementation details. What I'm trying to figure out is conceptually, like, if I don't do staging, what do I do, right? So right. I, I hear some people saying that, all right, instead of deploying to staging, imagine you're deploying to Kubernetes cluster. We already started to say K-word. So deploying <laughs> with a K-word. So you have Kubernetes cluster. Uh, that's what you run in production. And you can then have a, like a separate namespace, maybe, where you deploy your stuff instead of staging so it runs pretty much in the same environment it has access to the same type of data and then you can redirect a little bit of traffic to this thing to some kind of canary deployment see if it behaves and if it does then you either switch all traffic or deploy to the namespace where you have your production ports right but that comes with a number of requirements for developers that they have to consider, which means 
if this thing gets deployed and gets access to database, it might start to run migration. Yeah. And that migration has to be backward compatible. So like everything that the old port does should still work. And that's a complication, right? Cool. Uh, I would say if you do continuous delivery, you have to have it anyway. You have to be always backward compatible so you can roll out. But that's a consideration. Then you need to have a way to manage your traffic. You need to have a way to actually observe the impact the traffic is making with this port, right? So you need to have a, quite a bit of engineering put in place. And I, I cannot say there are well-established ways of doing that. Something that you can take out of shelf and that will just work. It's like you do GitOps, right? Like you just dump Argo CD or whatever you have there and it just works. Technically, like you need to sort out secrets and the rest, but like it's it's understandable. There is a way how to make it work, but canary deployment is usually very specific to the environment where you deploy to how it's implemented and so on and so on. So there are like no open source or like general solution that I'm aware of. It might be, but I'm not aware of that. That is available that would tie in traffic switching and uh, also observability part of that say that yes it works right so like i send 10 percent of traffic there and it works so this is something that you will have to do and here you have a dilemma right so you have a choice you could have a staging environment as a second environment separate environment it will require much less engineering much less thinking it will be more simple to deploy yes it will be not 100 percent as production but you might be able to live with this. You might have it as acceptable risk. If you if you are able to roll back, you come to production anyway, it's failing. Okay, you reverted to previous version. MRRT is like five minutes or less, right? So where where is the win? I mean, there is a lot of hype going on, but I'm trying to see where is the win. Another problem I have is like we're talking about code changes, right? So it's containers that flows around, but it's not the whole picture. It's uh, we also have infrastructures that accompanies the container to production, and like we usually deploy infrastructure, like for instance, running Terraform before we would deploy it, right? So, so we create all the resource, resources around, so it's ready there for the container to be deployed, and you need to test that infra somewhere. With container, yes, you can have a separate namespace and put it there. But if you also have a Terraform spec that comes with it, the Terraform spec has to be clever enough not to destroy production environment, create something on the side, making sure it's like matching that namespace. And that's, again, quite engineering task to work on, and uh, which will complicate your Terraform spec enormously. Terraform is not super great for conditions and for control. It's supposed to be declarative. People trying to make anything else out of it, but it's supposed to be declarative from the day one. was an idea. So what I'm saying is you have to choose. So you have a, a win of maybe saving money because you don't have a separate environment and you have reduced uh, possibility of things going wrong because you're testing in the same environment where it should be run, right? But 
as a drawback, you have to put quite a lot of engineering and complicated development pipeline quite a lot, which means that a person who comes into the team might not as easy understand it and might not as easy understand consequences of him doing this thing on that thing, how it will play out. So for me, I, I'm, I kind of understand the argument. I see the benefits of not having staging, but at the same time, I see drawbacks and I cannot definitively say that I'm all for it, right? It's for me, it's not a, like a made deal thing, mm-hmm. like with Kubernetes, right? So it's like number mm-hmm. one orchestrator. But this one, I cannot really tell. It really depends on the context. For sure. What I'm uh, more concerned about is um, the energy that is being put into that observability. So most of the time, um, first of all, if you deploy directly to production, you have to have like a top-notch monitoring system that's resilient. Uh, otherwise, if something goes wrong, you, you're blind, and that's worse. Um, the the Once you have that, uh, I would say, high-quality metrics that are coming in, it, uh, a rolling release, uh, or I would say a canary release, is much safer in the sense that, okay, if something wrong happens, you see it right away. Hmm. The, the, with that being said, um, having unit tests and integration tests might still be useful at that point. Uh, although I've seen people who are... Uh, very good at making small changes and continuously deploying, uh, doing canary release and gradually increasing traffic, and they do that like ten times a day. So they, mm. they get they get good at that. And yeah. I would say once you have a process that works for you and where you understand the trade off, that's fine. The my issue is that sometimes I see people having a staging cluster just for the sake of having a staging cluster, but they don't implement the actual process to utilize that right. cluster to the best of their ability. And it becomes yeah. more a burden. Uh, it's more yeah. like, oh, I, I heard a sentence. I, I remember that I wouldn't trust staging to pour milk on my cereal because it, this thing was so unreliable. Like nobody mm. knows. Like it works, you don't know why. It doesn't work, you don't know why. And finally, mm. you find out that the version of something is different than the other version, or it's an old version. And so right. it, it's, uh, it becomes a very cumbersome. And yeah, the, but, yeah, I also see, like, when do you know that your, like, your code is working? It's when it's deployed to production and it's yes. being used, yes. right? So then That's the ultimate know. test, yes. Yes, I mean, you can test as much as you like before and everything, but it's when it's running in production and you can see all your, your logs and metric things and everything looks good, then you know that it was a successful deployment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're bringing an interesting point here, Matthias. Since um, when you're coming into staging, it depends on what you're testing towards. Right. So what is a baseline? Imagine like you have 10 containers running in a production and all of them version zero. Uh, now you're running one of them with version one. 
So technically, everything in staging should be version zero. And like in this logical example where you have only one container changing at a time and always going towards production, you will have the same baseline in staging. But reality is more messy than that. Since uh, you might have multiple teams working in parallel deploying changes. So the baseline you have in staging is different comparing to the baseline you have in production. So some people saying, that, well, um, I have, I, I saw a couple of great presentations where they would say, where instead of like having a common staging, we would have a staging per team. So the only thing that's changing in that staging environment per team is they take the ba- uh, production baseline and they replace on their container. Make sure, in that sense, they're making sure that it's actually the same thing. And they recreate that environment all the time. So like you want to test, they just create an environment and that basically kills the problem uh, of uh, what Matthias said. Oh, like, was it you, Julian? I kind of slept very little today, so I'm not as focused as usual. So... That kills the problem of pouring energy in staging, but it doesn't work as expected. Another thought that I had while listening to this is you cho- you have a limited amount of time, right? So you have a limited amount of engineering resources or engineering effort you can do within a week where you would spend that. So you could spend that on building staging environment, or you can spend that on improving your monitoring and production. So to enable canary releases. And this is totally different question, right? So it's uh, like comparing to what I was saying before, like you're choosing between having this and that and having is one thing. But instead, you could choose between building this or that. And this is the question, what do you build? Do you build a better test environment separate from production or do you improve your production? So it's a different question. It's a very interesting point. And I would say that uh, either you you have a really good uh, DevOps team that can make like the creation and the, the, the management of cluster really easy. And so you, the, the teams know that they have those, uh, those guarantee that the baseline from production is going to be what is in that newly created cluster um, or you don't have that team and it's up to the developer to to monitor everything and so that's the the trade-off that is being is like who can do that who wh- what is the best uh, investment in time and who can invest that time to make to reach a certain level of quality there there are many uh various possibility but for instance we we are only we're talking about creating cluster but what about on-prem those things are basically i never heard that people can create a cluster on-prem on demand uh, and and have it work flawlessly because otherwise you're recreating the cloud but on-prem and that's a lot of work so I would advise if that uh, if there is only a developer team and a I would say very busy DevOps team, it's better to work on the monitoring as a, as opposed to hoping that the staging will be the same. Once those guarantee, if you don't have the guarantee that uh, the staging can actually is as close as possible as the production, working on the monitoring will pay off much more. 
But now, on the other hand, uh, that's a lot of work to to figure out which metrics and everything. You need that monitoring. You always need that monitoring. That's how you guarantee and and you know that your your things are working. Definitely. How can you say to other things are fine? Our apps is working as good as it should be. If you don't have that monitoring, knowing that things are fine. It's like the, the baseline when you deploy, and it's the same tools you use when you do canary release. You just send over some traffic, and you look at your monitoring. If if something picks up, then it's like okay, if something happens there. Then you can roll back. Definitely, but those those implies that, um, uh, as Andre said, uh, the use case of a database migration. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you always have to have backwards compatible code, which means yeah. you can you can never break an API. You can only no. deprecate. And yeah. so this whole idea that um, you you can actually make atomic change to a cluster is I, I've never seen that happen. You know, you always have to incremental incrementally improve the the cluster uh, or the application. That's, that's a good point. Uh, how do you see on multiple version of production code in production? Uh, yeah, if backwards compatibility is assured, or you, that that can be. I have seen many. Uh, let's say that, uh, for instance, you you don't have a staging environment or a test environment, and you push directly to production. One way to do that is with feature flag. So in the code, you have an environmental variable that you say, if that is set, let's say, uh, like for A-B testing, for, for yeah. those kind of things, you, you have a certain percentage of the requests that are targeted to some code path. Yes, um, example, like, uh, you want to have a formula, like a question formula for, for your clients, and then you say 10% goes to this, App version that displays this uh, form instead. I mean, then you have two versions running, or you have the same, but you have a feature flag probably on one, right? Yeah, you can use something like Launch Darkly to have um, SaaS for your feature flags. So it's yeah. a platform, you plug in their code and treats flags. So you can just turn it off in a web panel and then the application will get that. I'm uh, sorry for the background noise. You know, delivery people, they, they know exactly when you record the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky path to walk here when you have your, your code and you have many applications, you have your infrastructure. You also have maybe external clients that are using your APIs and things. It's a tricky path to get everything into orchestration and rolling out to, to uh, production and make everybody happy. But I, I think it's, it's, um, that's the job, basically. You, like you, you know what they say, like uh, something when it's on the internet, it never dies. It's out there forever. It's yeah. kind of the same for APIs, I feel. Once an API is out there and so people start to want it, Sorry? <laughs> really? Say it to Google Reader and a bunch of Google products that they killed. Yeah, Where no, are no. they now? Google doesn't care at all. Like uh, they, they have more. There is a really interesting blog post by um, a former employee 
that uh, really they, they, they compared the number of times the word deprecated appeared on the Google Cloud documentation versus AWS. And they had like eight, Google is like eight times more, eight times more uh, instance of the word deprecated into their uh, documentation. Uh, Cody Green also heard a podcast about that. He where they discussed this uh, blog post that uh, deprecate Google's deprecations policy killing them. Yeah, it, that's the blog post. Yeah, that, that's the one uh, I'm talking. Yeah, we, we should link it to the to the to the podcast. It's a really good read. It's a really interesting read uh, that article, and it brings basically the the question like, yeah, you you have those uh, the power to break things, but would you really? And so the, the, the question starts by why not make things backward compatible forever? And um, that becomes scary, but it puts a lot of weight onto the design. We had an episode about Semver where I went a little bit crazy um, because that's exactly what I'm trying to express is that once something is, is in use, uh, it's extremely hard. I think it's... A, I would say it's about 10 times more work to actually change it and make sure that everybody's migrated because you have to think of so many use cases and make sure that people understand what's happening. Uh, it's like a project on itself. Like changing an API should be, should be a, like a complete project on itself. And um, that is also... And with that, you don't ship any new feature. You ju- you're just migrating what's already there to something that's, again, mm-hmm. going to be there. So it's like that database uh, migration. I did a few, <laughs> more than I care to admit, uh, database, like from, from Postgres to Redis, or from MongoDB to Postgres, or MySQL, all those things. Oracle, it's like um, it's such a pain, and you bring zero. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you say Oracle? Is it like yeah. the merge of Oracle? Horror and Oracle merged together. Yeah, that's, that's more it's Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I call them. Is uh, it's yeah, it's almost like that, but it's but getting. I mean, when I bring up to developers, okay, you want to change the SQL schema here. It requires a change. We need to have multiple deployments then, because you might want to have yeah. first. You need to deploy that supports the old schema and the new schema. You want to get that out, and then you actually. Uh, migrate to Shima. Yeah. And then maybe you have a new deployment that only supports the new Shima. Yes. Exactly. It's no, it's no problem deploying here, but developers maybe sometimes say that, ah, I just made the last pod that is support new Shima. Jordan, why all developers not like you? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't wish anybody, like everybody, to be like me, but it's more like uh, how much do you care? about uh, people you're supposed to help. Like if you be, I like building yeah. things and I like people using what I build and make their life easier. I'm not here to make their life harder. So it's, I would say that it's more having empathy. Like if you care about the people, um, I would say the, the, the path is not an easy one, but it's a better one, I would say, from my value. Like I, I'm, yeah. I'm much happier 
if, like, let's say you you know your bank like who cares what tech stack they have but you you, you care that the money that you that is in there is right and so it's the same for customer like yeah whatever crap there is under the hood I, I know it might not be glorious but if it works and if it makes people life easier why not I think it's about not to be too attached to the the idea of perfection in tech and more about uh, people but isn't this also like the DevOps uh, idea here that uh, as a developer you get closer to production and and get closer to the clients that uses what you build. Um, yeah, it's a feedback loop. Like DevOps is all about the feedback loop and yeah. how, to, how to get feedback and knowing if what you build is correct. And the, the, I, the problem with that is it makes the... I would say you can ship something faster, but once it's out there it's really hard. It might be really, really hard to change it. And so there is a big trade-off into the planning. Where where do you want to invest your time? Into planning or into migrating? That's the trade-off. Either way, you have to pay the cost. And it's nice to be aware of that once you you start. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and also the pod there is, is coming to the end of yeah, time like 45 episode. minutes in so let's yeah. let's have a conclusion what is exactly. the recommendation Andre do you want to go first uh, well I would do you want me to go first because I'm not known for giving short answers but anyhow okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm doing it already so you're not stopping me <laughs> what I say is it depends on how technically sophisticated you are if you yeah. are capable of building canary deployment pipeline with uh, proper observability and stuff, uh, probably, yeah, go this way because then you can invest more time into building uh, better monitoring in production and getting, getting your production more resilient and improving there rather than building something that's not used by your users. However, if you are not, and that's a kind of flaky definition. So, but if you if you are resource constrained, then go with a simpler model. You know, if you have resources to put into building something like that, do that. If you don't, if you're resource constrained, if you're not so technically sophisticated, if there are other problems to solve, if it's like it's if it's not pressing, I would I would go for a more simple setup where just multiple environments. I assume that. The people use infrastructure as code. All of that defines as code. And the only thing that needs to change it is the applying Terraform apply. If you do it manually, you do it wrong. Don't do that. Just don't, don't do it. Just don't, 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 don't do it. Don't, no. leave, leave the profession right. now. Now. Go yeah. do development, something else. Don't do operations. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I, I totally agree. And uh, one of the keys is like good monitoring in production will help you deploy. Canary release so you know that the application is working by testing with live traffic. Then you know that your release is successful. Otherwise, you're doing tests, but you might only guessing that things are good. You don't yeah. know until you test with live traffic. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that that's my 
uh, what I take from this. Julian, what's your final words here? Yeah, if you have a strong DevOps team, go with a cluster, one cluster per, per team and that match the production environment. If you have a strong developer team, go directly to production and do feature flag and extremely good monitoring. Yeah, that's, that's what I would recommend. Do do what you're good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build on your strength. Mm. Actually, about the monitoring, that will yeah. be a, will be a plug for the next episode. Yeah. I have an opinion about monitoring. I've been thinking like for quite some time about it, and I think that everyone does it wrong. I'm gonna tell you why next time. Wow. Yeah, that's I, I'm looking forward to hear from it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. Okay, with that cliffhanger hanging in the air, I will thank everybody for listening for this episode and uh, stay tuned for for the next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcasts and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.